78644 is brought to you by Texas Hatters, Wella Foods, Thunderbird Bars, Wendy R. Bookery and Gifts, Corazon Austin Realty, and Viva Trilingua, the Big Bang of Texas Music exhibit at the Whitliff Collections at Texas State University. Today we're talking about something that some may consider a dying art form, but we know is alive and well here in Lockhart, Texas, and we believe started it all. We're talking about radio, and I'm Grace Ryer, filling in for Stephen Collins, and this is 78644. We had the honor of having a guest with us today, Ed Mayberry, who began his career in 1971 at a tiny 250-watt radio station right here in Lockhart that some of you may recognize as the greenhouse in the field just off of Stuvie on your way to Silent Valley. That first station played blocks of country music, gospel, and rock and roll, which was Mayberry's true love, especially the music of the Beatles. Mayberry is Houston Public Media's resident Beatles expert, for those of you who don't know, and it's a title that we don't take lightly in Houston or here in Lockhart. Stephen Collins spoke to him by Zoom regarding his tenure on Lockhart's original radio station. It was KHRB 1060, and uh, I was there to October of 71, just a few short months where I went on to Nebraska's and then to KLBJ or KDBC FM at the time, and then later to NPR in Houston. So that's kind of the synopsis. Well, what what was it like uh, in the seventies doing this radio station that was in Lockhart? Because I don't think it has had one since. When do you know when that station? They, I don't know when it went on the air. Um, I'm not real sure, but um, I know it changed call letters to KCLT. I believe it is uh, okay. later on. And it might have gone under one other call letter change, too. Seems like a, some religious organization bought it at okay. some point. But I, I kind of lost contact with all that, so I, I really don't know. But when I was there, it was uh, 250 watts, which is like three light bulbs, you know, <laughs> and power. But um, it, it had a pretty good signal, and and the station was trying to appeal to all different kinds of communities within Lockhart, you know, Mexican-American uh, kids, you know, with some rock and roll on Saturdays it was kind of minimal, but, you know, at least they had it in some country and Western and they had all religious stuff on Sunday, you know, a big, heavy religious thing on Sunday. Uh, so it was a little, it was a good education in radio because it was a little of everything. I even printed their little top 40 for their country and Western top 40. I printed out the little uh, sheets that you'd put out, you know, at record stores and gas stations and convenience stores and stuff like that. You recorded commercials. You took meter readings back in the day when you had to do that. You know, the transmitter was out, was right beside us through a glass window and the two towers were up back. So everything was right there. The towers are long gone. Yeah. Maybe the building that the, that the station was in is gone. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's interesting because I know that, you know, we're having to put to- a tower up this was a directional station. That's why they had two towers. I don't really understand the electronics there, but somehow when you have a directional signal, you have to have two towers to make the, 
the pattern. You know, oh, the, I, see. The I didn't know that. Yeah. So were you like the, the DJ or did you work with other people and do the, I was hats? The, it was a family operation. It was a guy named Dan Heath was the owner and general manager and operator and chief salesman and everything. And his son, Danny, Dan Jr. Uh, was one of the disc jockeys and I was one of the others. There was uh, one other guy who came on later and then they had a Spanish announcer, Lupi. I remember Lupi Castillo was his name. And uh, he also worked at the Braunfels station, I believe, too. A lot of the guys did that. They worked several little stations to make up enough money, you know. Yeah. Did you uh, mostly just play records or did you have a space for people to come in and play? Did they ever do that? Did people ever come by and do live work? Uh, I had that once, but I pre-recorded it. It was a friend of mine who was a singer-songwriter, and I had kind of freedom to bring in and play it. So I, I brought him in, I brought the tapes in after recording stuff, uh, you know, on my own. You know, it's it was such a small, small uh, beginning, really. I mean, for something that ended up being a 47-year career, the guy didn't even ask for an air check. You know, he didn't even ask for a tape, which is you, normally you want to hear what the person's going to sound like. He yeah. just said, can you be here on Saturday? <laughs> it was for minimum wage. And I said, yeah, I'll be there. I was going to, to Southwest Texas and San Marcos in a, in a journalism class, a guy who was, who his name was Bill Ainsworth. He had been working that shift and he was going to, he was leaving it. And he said, you should go talk, talk to him. You know, you work weekends there. I just drove up to the guy's house. I found out where he lived in, in Lockhart somehow, I guess from the station. And they, I went to his house and he said, well, can you be here Saturday? So that's how that began. Wow. Now 40, 40 something year career. Yeah. It was, it was 1971. Yeah. 52 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, he was trying, he had a tough job in that station because he had to appeal to all different types of audiences there's only like what ten thousand people or something in Lockhart then, I guess, around then. Uh, but then his surrounding area too that he covered. Yeah. The new station is um it will be similar. It's trying to be a co-op community radio station. So several different people coming in and having their own shows, but also serving the community. And it's it's quite yeah, that's that's not easy to do, you know. Something is it gonna be an AM or an FM that you're it's trying a, to I, I think it's an FM station. Um, I don't, they're getting the call letters now. I mean, I'm, you know, we're, we're separate cause we're the podcast, but we're working with them to help get it off the ground. And we cover anything that happens with music and art. And so that definitely will be the case. Well, they'll be doing both. See, back in those days, back in 71, there was not the kind of music scene you're really talking about. I mean, there was, yeah, Doug Song was doing his thing in Luling and elsewhere. And, uh, you know, you had people like Joe Ely coming in from, from Lubbock to be in the Austin area and uh, all the other artists that, that were in the seventies, you know, yeah. but that, that wasn't the thing that this station was about. They, they were not progressive at all, at all. They were yeah. just trying to make a living. You know, there were many times that uh, I can tell you the manager, the station manager, Dan came to me while I was working my shift on Saturday and he would sit there for a second. Well, you know, I just don't know if I can make payroll this week. You know, he would tell me that he just oh, wow. yeah. it was. So I was always felt lucky if the check cashed, which it always did. You know. Yeah. Well, this one I think is a co-op, so it's a five hundred one c three. So it's uh -huh. it's a nonprofit. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It'll be a lot different. Be a little different, yeah. But the spirit of it is similar. Where you know we're trying to 
serve the community of Lockhart now, or, or I'm saying we, but the radio station yeah. called Radio Lockhart. I, I wonder if there would be a little bit of similarity, but you know, of of what you guys were doing. Where are you located now, Ed, or where are you living? I'm in San Antonio. Yeah, I retired five and a half years ago from radio. I, I, I wish, I hope you guys do well. I think it's great. You know, I mean, I love seeing this. And also, uh, several other people got their starts at that station. Uh, I was amazed at looking, you know, when you do the, the uh, transmitter logs, it's every 30 minutes you take a reading, you see all the signatures from people in the past on the on the pad. And Paul Pryor, Cactus's son, worked there. He got his start in radio. Okay. And there's a few others whose names I can't recall right now, but you know, people I knew in the business later on. And I found out, wow, he started in Lockhart too. <laughs> well, that's cool. It's such, um, I, I'm glad to see it uh, come back and it's kind of here. I'm enjoying hearing what it was like back in the seventies to have a little station. It reminds me of something, you know, like the, one of my favorite radio stations is, I don't remember the call letters off the top of my head, but it's in New Orleans and they play, it's community radio. And like every day it's different and you can hear all these see people. i love that that's i that's, love it yeah yeah i mean that's in fact after i left there in 71 october started yeah october 71 went to the brothels for a couple of months then i got the job at ktbc fm and the announcers all of us were bringing in our records from home because we could get away with it and we yeah. started like heading it toward rock and roll they're playing you know, Montevani, Mancini, John Denver, Neil Diamond and stuff, you know, yeah. but we're bringing in not heavy stuff. Paul McCartney, my love, you know, you can't get in trouble with that. Right. And things like that. And, and pretty soon the management said, hey, we can make money with this. And when LBJ died, they got the call letter changed to KLBJ AM and FM. And the FM went full, full blown with the rock and roll. That's what I got into radio for. That was not happening on Lockhart, although. Right. There were times I could bring records in and and get away with playing what I wanted to do, like for instance, on the if I have to play religious music on Sunday, well, I'll bring in some Hank Williams for religious music, or you know, if if uh, the very first day I was on the air, I, I brought in McCartney a McCartney song and played it. I'm not picking on Paul here, but it just happened to be. And the manager Dan came in and says, "No, no, no, we have to play from our records here." You know, he, he told me that. Like don't don't bring your stuff from home kind of thing, but right. <laughs> still did you know the rock and roll. See, stations get serviced, and at least in those days, record companies would service a radio station with all their new forty fives or albums, depending on your format. Bigger stations, bigger markets get the most stuff. It filters down to little stations if there's some copies left over, kind of thing. And I remember they had a rare Rolling Stones album. I mean, super rare, like a thousand copies printed, and they had one of them in their record collection there. Yeah, just do the some gap in the servicing. It got yeah, them. yeah. It was like the old college stations were that way too. They had exactly yeah, yeah. And you know, sometimes you could you could you could work at the system a little bit and uh, friendships with record reps and things like that, and get extra copies for contests and that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. Cart's a small town. I mean, it's it's you know, as you know, it's just, it's everything's a different scale and and in a way that's beautiful. I mean, I love that. You know. Yeah, I, I think it's we're looking forward to seeing it launch and and hopefully we'll have that that type of effect and flavor on the community. So and you will if you engage the community. That's see, that's where that's where radio can be its strongest is when it's local. You know, we've got so many satellite service stations now that all sound like just Spotify or something, you know. Yeah. If you guys are doing something that engages the listeners, if you show up and do uh remote broadcast, maybe, you know, like 
I don't know if you're going to be 24 hours, but if you have evening things where you could uh, even high school sports or things that get, you know, different parts of the community in involved, right. not just the music, but other, other sure. kinds of full service radio things. I, and I don't know the scope of, from what I could tell, it seems to be that, you know, what you're describing, or it, it is very much that. Cover the city council meetings, you know, as a news, yeah. have a little news uh, coverage if you can, you know. That's part of what your mission is, you know. Yeah. Well, that that's a, uh, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about the way it was back then. And it's, you know, it's really not that, that different. It's still radio doing what radio does, you know, and it's just um, the tunes have changed, but I feel like this, the mission is the same. It is. And it's, it's best when it's local. It's always best when it's local because that's when you're going to get engagement from people and they will be lifelong listeners. You know, they will be hardcore behind you if, if, if they feel they're a part of it. You know? Yeah. That's good advice. Well, Ed, I sure enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for taking time to visit with us. And Well, good luck with it. I'll keep track of what you guys are doing. Also in the studio today, I'm joined by Max Yancey and Paul Arndt, where we discuss our recent endeavor, a new low-powered FM radio station that is community-run and operated totally by volunteers, a radio for the people, by the people of Lockhart, Texas. Uh, I'm Grace Ryer, and I'm co-owner-operator of Plum Creek Records and Tapes, and would we say I'm the, the secretary? Yeah, I believe you are the secretary. (laughs) Um, I'm Max Cienci. I'm I'm also a co-owner operator of Plum Creek Records and Tapes with Grace. Um, And I'm also a Radio Lockhart board member. I do not remember if I have a title or not, though. You are the treasurer. Treasurer. (laughs) You're the the treasurer of Radio Lockhart. Absolutely. We're in good hands. Yeah. Yeah, and my name is Paul Arndt, and uh, I'm president at Radio Lockhart, and uh, also grind a day job. Well, we're we're just big radio people in general, but uh, yeah, my my uh, impression is, is that Paul came in one day, and we knew about um, that he'd had this like really cool um, online radio show that was very like Lockhart focused, um, and he donated a bunch of really cool tapes. The English beat was in there, and I played it out until somebody bought it. Um, and then uh, said, "Hey, I'm the guy with the show, and I'm this is kind of my idea." And you know, without really too much thought, I was like, "Yeah, we're your people." <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Max was like, "Well, yeah, we got to do that." So yeah, Lockhart is definitely a place, um, a community that's uh, interesting and unique, and. Uh, I really always felt like it would really benefit from a community radio station. You know, in college, uh, I did some radio broadcasting, uh, dabbled with like some part 15 radio stations for like apartment complexes and uh, moved to Lockhart about a year ago and started uh, doing an online radio show and got a lot of feedback. And right after I started that, I had found out that the FCC was opening up a application window for the first time in over 10 years for community radio stations. So uh, I contacted a consultant. I said, hey, can you point me in a direction as to if there are any open frequencies in Lockhart? And she helped me out. And uh, from that point, I hired her. And uh, I knew Max and Grace were broadcasting with Co-op in Austin. I was like, this is going to be a perfect fit. And that's kind of how we started the whole thing. 
Yeah, and and you know, it seems like a lot of work, but at the end of the day, this is really going to be a community-led, community-run station. So you don't really want to think about like three people sitting behind the microphone, you know, for 12 hours a day. This is more of a, you know, hey, if you've seen the Love Boat, we're kind of like your cruise directors, right? <laughs> um, there's a lot of music and information that's important to people in this community. And really all they need to do is to be a part of it is to step up and say, hey, I want to be a part of this. You know, uh, our visions for this are, are definitely to get into the, the schools here work on, you know, doing some broadcasting training, you know, uh, show that it's a viable career option, keep the legacy of broadcasting alive, uh, as well as people who have a voice in the community coming in and saying, hey, I want to do a, a show about barbecue or, you know, I'm really into this specific type of music. We want to be able to provide the resources to train them and give them the, you know, empower them to do their own shows. It's, it's going to be really based on the direction the community wants to take it, right? You know, we have our vision, you know, which would be, you know, kind of a hub for the community, a place for people to meet and share ideas, um, a place for people to be educated, to come in and learn how to broadcast, learn about different types of music, learn about events and local musicians. But, you know, we might have people come in and want to do talk shows about, you know, taking cruises or, you know, uh, colored pencils. I don't know. You know, it, it, it really just depends and it'll evolve into to what the community wants. Really interesting to hear what people come up with, what type of shows they come up with, especially around here. You know, see what yeah. happens. I feel like just about every person we've, like, encountered, like, you know, hey, I think I'd like to do that. And we're like, come on down. And, you know, we've had um, my... My neighbor, uh, you know, had expressed that he had always wanted to be on the radio, and he was—he's lived in Lockhart a long time, and was listening when when Ed uh, was broadcasting here, and you know, he was so eager and was like, "I'll I'll do what I have to," and you know, take take classes, and we were kind of like, "No, we'll we'll help, like we'll just you're you're in," and that's yeah. been like pretty exciting, and you know, I think something like this is really possible in this community, um, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm always still pretty floored of if you propose an idea, it's like, seems like everyone just shows up to be like, Hey, you know, I could donate my time or I have these skills if it's useful or, you know, they just are excited just to do fun things together. Yeah. I think that's really special. Yeah, I do too. I, and that's been my experience as, as well. I feel like you're in this stage now where you've, you're pretty far along with the nonprofit and, um, and getting that built. Yeah, absolutely. We are, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, so that's all built out. Um, right now, we are in the stage where our license is in the queue to uh, be processed. Um, they just moved back the licensing window from November 1st to December 8th. Um, so our license uh, application will be filed on December 8th, at which point it takes uh, 30 to 60 days for approval. Um, right now, we're shooting to get on air digitally, I guess, via internet stream sometime at the beginning of January, and then going live on FM uh, once we get that approval back from the FCC. Right. And that, and that brings us to, um, you're, we're, at this point, we're find, you're finding a building, finding a place to, to do the to host the sh the uh, station, and you're looking for for uh, sponsors basically. Oh yeah, people to because it is a five hundred one c three. It's tax exempt, um, and so tell us what tell us what you need to to achieve your goal to get on the air. Grace, 
Max? <laughs> I mean, you can go to radiolockhart.com and uh, we have a campaign going on Give Butter. And um, we're, you know, no matter how small, um, we can use all the community support we can to, to get this thing rolling. Yeah. We, uh, we definitely have started curating equipment, you know. Um, between the three of us, we've uh, got plenty of studio gear, but there are some things that are a little bit more on the expensive side, such an FCC-approved uh, FM transmitter, uh, something called an EAS system, which is an emergency alert system, which, again, is a, another important thing for a radio station and also required, which will uh, provide local and national alerts when needed, you know, like the uh, Matthew McConaughey one on... On uh, was he NPR? Or yeah, he's KUT. KUT, yeah, uh, stuff like that, and um, also just uh, a roof over our heads. Utilities, um, you know, licensing music isn't free. Uh, the artists need to be compensated, so there are licensing fees that we need to pay uh, for both over-the-air FM transmission and uh, digitally on the internet. So the expenses definitely add up. We've we've all kind of uh, chipped in to get a, a good base down, but. Now we're kind of stepping up and saying, hey, community really needs to, to help out. When you, when you turn on the radio, the very few radio stations you can, you can barely get here in Lockhart uh, is, you know, Clear Channel or is it iHeartMedia now, um, which is very programmed. You hear the same 10 songs every time and 15 minutes worth of ads every hour, if not more. And just uh, thinking about going back to a radio station where you're actually providing content, whether it's education, information or, or music. You know, and I think Grace or Max could really talk to the uh, curation of, you know, media that you play and the the amount of time that they put into uh, their radio shows each week where, you know, you just listen to something else and you get beat with the same tunes over and over. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, we have increasingly corporate media space and it's really important for, you know, every community to have a community radio station or else you really just don't hear those local voices. Um, you don't get to hear the really unique aspects of members of your community. Yeah, that's that's really true. Well, it's it's we had a radio station in the '70s here in Lockhart, and I think it went, it quit in the '90s. I think I don't know when it quit. So this will be the for the first time, at least since then, that yeah. we've had anything like it. So. Yeah, first first local Lockhart radio station, you know, and uh, it's really hard uh, to really understand how unique Lockhart is unless you spend some time here. You know, you can drive through and say, oh, it's got some small town charm, um, you know, and, and it's going to be great to provide this hub for the community. But the other side of it is, is it's also going to get us out, you know, nationally and internationally by having a, an Internet broadcast stream uh, so other people can really learn about Lockhart and how unique it is. artist that we're spotlighting today is Juan de Diaz Morra. Juan grew up in a border town, some know as Laredo, Texas. Juan de Diaz Morra has seen different cultures clash and yet expressions and emotions coalesce. However, here in the U.S., its traditions, racism, and stereotypes have introduced him to the reality of being an immigrant in a different country. Juan works representationally and sometimes with the surreal images that he portrays typical Mexican-American's life, iconography, and beliefs. His objective is to bring people together with sentimental, satirical, sarcastic, and even at times comical themes. I was born and raised in Mexico, and um, most of my um, 
early years, I spent it in, uh, in a ranch where I explored so many things and learned so many things about uh, imagination, so you want to put it this way. So in the ranch, I used to work in the fields with my dad, and uh, just um, I remember when I was a kid, so I used to go and work with the, with the mud, you know, and used to kind of like build, you know, like little, you know, figures, houses, cars, and that's the way kind of like a, the way I was introduced to the arts, I guess. I introduced myself to the arts, you want to put it that way. But I think a lot of us, we do, that, we do it that way. Later in life, when I was 14 years old, I immigrated to the United States and um, I actually arrived to Laredo. Laredo, Texas, a border town to Nuevo, Nuevo Laredo. I arrived in my middle school years and uh, it was a, an impact to culture. So there I realized that there's two cultures clash, you know, in the border, you know, um, line between Mexico and United States. And uh, there I understand the, the importance of to be, I guess, bilingual, you want to put it that way, but also the, the culture really, you know, educates you in a different way. For example, you know, Spanglish is really prevalent, you know, along the border, but also, um, you know, having some um, still culture from Mexico and still adapting to a new culture, which is the American culture. So in there really uh, make me realize that, um, you know, uh, my culture was important, you know, along the border, but also to give back to the community. And my community was giving me so much to me. So, but in Laredo, I, uh, I immigrated to the United States when I was 40 years old. I went to um, middle school, high school and college, of course. And then after that, I decided to go and into um, uh, university and then get my uh, MFA. Then now I'm a professor here in San Antonio. Okay. <laughs> That's an interesting story about, you know, growing up in Mexico and then living right on the border and seeing the, the two cultures kind of interacting. I mean, I can see it in, in your work. You, you do kind of a lithograph style. And can you talk about why you chose that style of, and printmaking to do your work? Yes. Uh, I actually work with uh, Relief, which is uh, lithography is part of the, kind of like the printmaking family. And Relief is more like a stamp. So, I decided to go for the relief for a uh, couple of reasons. And uh, the main reason is because uh, in Mexico, uh, when I was a kid, my dad took me to a museum. Uh, it was the Jose Guadalupe Posada Museum in Aguascalientes. In there, I was uh, actually uh, introduced to the black and white you know, imagery. And I think white and black is kind of like a prevalent, you know, when it comes to artists because pencil, graphite, charcoal is black. And of course, you know, there's color after that, but then, uh, me going to my family, you know, uh, going to the museum, just introduced to the, you know, the imager, the impact of the imager, the black and white, really give me something to think about in, in my future. During that time, of course, you know, I really liked the, the arts, but I was not really fully aware, you know, what uh, pre-making was. So when I came here to the United States in high school, I started to uh, go to the the art classes after school program. And then I, I was introduced to screen printing, which is a seal screen. Um, and then um, from there, I still, I didn't understand what pre-making was. And uh, I started to understand more pre-making when I got into my college years. I took my basic pre-making class and there I was introduced to the, all the techniques. And then of course it was introduced to lithography, serigraphy, uh, relief and relief. That's the media that I use the most. And why relief is because um, uh, you can actually um, make, print multiple. So it's something that you can do in your own space, your own house. It's so versatile. You can disseminate a lot of print, a lot of work, and of course, you can sell it cheaper. But for me, the black and white is a beautiful contrast that everyone can understand. It's like a balance, you know, when it comes to, you know, it's like the yin-yang, you know, that beautiful balance in life. 
but also the black is so important as the white. They kind of like really get along together. But also that it kind of takes me back into my childhood years when when my dad took me to the museum and just get you know get introduced to Jose Guadalupe Posada artwork. I feel like that connection to my um, culture, you know, to to you know this time with pre-making, it was used in the revolution era to you know talk something political to defend uh, the 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 society to defend uh, the list you know the this privilege you know pr uh, people. So for me, you know, pre-making is something that can really can really, you know, defend or really, you know, um, highlights the, the culture of my community. And for me, you know, pre-making is something that I can make multiples, but also I can sell it cheaper. And it's also something that I really like and love. And I still feel like uh, I'm bringing this culture from Mexico and I'm introducing this technique to uh, new generations. It's attached to my culture and it's something that, you know, if you like the Mexican um, artists, they really took, took it to a different level. And I still want to take it that way, take it to a different level. I love Posada's work too. It's like one of the yes. things as a kid that I reacted to in museums as well. And I, I, uh, I can see that now that you say that, I can see that you're taking that and pushing it forward with some of the work I've seen. The exhibit that you're going to be doing at the Lockhart Post Gallery, can you describe the exhibit a bit? Yes, uh, the exhibition is going to have a little bit of everything. When I say a little bit of everything, it's going to have subject matter because I'm Latino, so I'm going to have something that represents a little bit the Mexican-American culture along the border, a little bit that what rasquachismo is. So what is rasquachismo? It's basically in uh, the Latino cultures when you have uh, the impact your community for, you know, the essence of survival. So in the, the arts, basically, we use it in a way to get found objects and put together something else. So in my artwork, I represent uh, people that kind of somehow they put, you know, they assemble their, their own vehicles from, you know, found objects. So in the exhibition, you're going to have uh, a lot of prints related to the rascachismo, but also you're going to have luchadores, wrestlers, and um, it's going to have a combination of everything. It's going to be a little bit what I do. I want to introduce to the community uh, what I do and what I am. So I have different body artworks, but this one mainly is going to be reliefs. I'm going to have black and whites. I'm going to have colors. And I'm going to have uh, some etchings as well, some dry points, different techniques. Probably, you know, it's a little bit new and a little bit less relevant than uh, relief. But I'm going to have a little bit of everything. When it comes to some subject matter, I'm going to have, I call it the local, the crazy devices. And I'm going to have the wrestlers, which, which I call it the tremendos, which is the, the mischievous uh, um, wrestlers. And this one is going to have something mechanical, something more funny. The color I really love to be vibrant, to represent who I am, but also what my culture is. So it's going to have a little bit of everything to represent who I am, introduce it to Lockhart, to the Lockhart community. That sounds great. Look forward to that. Um, when you do your reliefs, how hard, I'm just curious, and how are you making your, your reliefs? My reliefs, the technique itself, um, it basically has a process. Of course, it has to start from, you know, from idea, from my head. Every time you, you start a new idea or a new, um, you know, project, a new artwork, you have to have fun. And for me, it's always fun. You know, I let my, my imagination to really take over, you know, my control of my, you know, on my hands or my, you know, my sketches. So I always start with the idea and then I move on into the sketch. After the sketch, I basically, I figure out the size, you know, what kind of like content is going to have. And then after that, I move on into the, the, the material, which is the relief. Yeah. So the line of, line, linoleum, from there, I use the blades to actually create my own line of cuts, create your own stuff. Of course, after that, you have to ink it up. 
run into a press, which is the, the press is basically this tool is just to pre, you know press the paper into the liner cut and basically pick the ink. And that's the way you transfer the ink. So for me, a line of card is, you know, I start with something, you know, just idea, printing, of course, you're going to have the outcome, which is the print. And each print is unique because the way it presses on the paper, too. So it's... You know, when it comes to printmaking, I think, you know, that's a really beautiful word, I guess, unique. But I think, uh, you know, printmaking is mainly based to make multiples. So each print, you have to validate it with uh, what we call editioning. So that means you have to give it a number. For example, you print 10. You have to label every single one, one of 10, two of 10. Each one has to be labeled to kind of make it unique. But then the print itself is a reproduction. I don't want to call it reproduction. It's a kind of like a, a similar print to the last one. And reproduction is when you make a lot for commercial use. This one, you have a limit. And my limit sometimes is just 10s, 20s. But no more than that. Um, it depends what it is to, you know, when I work in, you know, smaller prints for uh, the rest of this is more like a public cult popular culture. I try to do about 40 prints because that sells really quick. But unique, yes, when it comes to technique. But I think, you know, it's a little bit debatable out there when it says unique because there's multiples. And that's something that, right. you know. Like with a letterpress, when you have, if the weight isn't distributed evenly, you might have a little less ink and you just each oh, yeah. one has a little bit of that. And I think that's beautiful, you know? Yes, yes, yeah. You know, I don't use a, a letter press, but then letter presses, um, Lockhart, you know, what I'm going to be showing, they, they used to print letter press. They have a yes. beautiful, you know, museum of um, tools, you know, type and all this, you know, machinery that that really represents what, you know, how relief was printed. It was a, kind of like a different technique, you know, letter press. I use different equipment to print, but then it has the same, you know, approach, you know, when it comes to pre-making, you know, that's a really good, you know, example of pre-making, yeah. Yeah, I just love the, the uniqueness of each print because even though they're a reproduction of the image and the same image, you can just tell on the edges and sometimes it's just like, this one is unique, you know, you see the grain. Oh, okay. I love okay. that, yeah. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> For me, pre-making is unique in, in every single angle. I depend pre-making. But sometimes I feel like, uh, um, you know, when the, somebody makes, you know, um, a reproduction, like a poster, you know, it kind of like devaluates a little bit, you know, what pre-making is. And I love the the limited pressings are so cool, too, because it really yes. makes them valuable. I'd like to visit with you a little bit about your, the work you do about living in Laredo and close to Nuevo Laredo. And in the images, I mean, starting with Posada, where it was this sort of um zapatista kind of thing he did which was very very romantic but also um unique to that period and and i i see some of that in, in your work what i've seen online where you are taking that type of black and white style illustrative style a little bit of posada in there and then um and putting it in these th this border culture can you talk a little bit am i accurate by saying that i don't even know if i'm accurate I think you're accurate when it comes to, you know, relief printmaking. All of us, we're attached, you know, to this Zapatismo, all these movements that happen in Mexico, you know, Jose Guadalupe Posada, because was, was kind of like a pre-revolution, you know, he was the main element when it comes, you know, raising, you know, voices against the, you know, the tyranny during that time, you know, mine, it has an activist, you know, content, but it's a little bit hidden. It's a little bit more, uh, how to be subtle, you know, the way I introduce certain issues. But I feel like uh, Posada for me, you know, it was still, you know, relevant, you know, when it comes to, you know, the art making. I feel like all of us, I mean, pre-makers, relief pre-makers, we know Posada and we have a, a special connection, you know. 
being Latino, I still feel like that huge connection with Posada. You know, he's the kind of like the father of this. And then, of course, you know, there's after that, there's other movements such as, you know, Taller Gráfico Popular and other, you know, uh, groups that really makes, you know, relief so um, important and a little bit kind of elevate the, the arts to different level. The representation of my community is a way to say, hey, you know, we are alive, we vibrant. And of course, we can give so much, you know, to, you know, to now, you know, what is now the present. Yeah. I have a connection to Posada and I'm a Texan, but I <laughs> I would frequent these Mexican folk art shops where I, besides the museums, and he would always come up in different types of art. Like it would, some other artists would have pulled in a Posada or they would make a sculpture of a Posada drawing. I mean, I was fascinated by that for years and trying to get into the, not only the history of it, but I just loved the style. I thought it was so vibrant, you know, and uh, I love what you're doing because I can see that progression. It's really exciting. Uh, I just want to say everyone is invited to come to my exhibition. I, I'm going to try to make it fun through, you know, me being alive and be talkative. But I think my artwork can speak a little bit itself, you know, who I am and, you know, what I'm trying to represent, uh, you know, within, you know, about my culture. And I think, uh, you know, everyone can really, you know, see a little, something different because Lockhart, you know, gallery, um, Lockhart Gallery Post is actually doing something, you know, a little bit fresh, a little bit different. It's bringing a little bit, you know, artists, from, you know, up from outside with a different, you know, perspective. And I feel like, uh, you know, the show is going to be something fresh, of course, you know, something different, probably, you know, that people can enjoy, engage, and of course, you know, support the arts because it is some, something important, not just, you know, me as an artist, but I think uh, the community in Lockhart is growing. And for me, it's so important to help and give something that, you know, can really benefit, uh, you know, that community. And uh, the community, you know, the art community, like I say, is, is, is growing in Lockhart because I went there uh, two months ago. I went to visit the galleries. It's just amazing. It and is, I think yeah. uh, everyone should go and really have fun. It doesn't matter which gallery you visit. Go and support the arts, the, the scene, you know, enjoy and make it vibrant. Austin Music Love is putting out a local music discovery letter. They will send out the new songs that are released daily by local artists in the Central Texas area, including Lockhart. Plus, you can personalize your newsletter by genre. Over 1,500 local artists are signed up to have their music distributed through the newsletter, and there are about 50 new releases per week across all genres. Some of the Lockhart artists included are Augustin Ramirez, Melissa Engelman, Telenovela, R.F. Shannon, Richard Watson, and Parker Chapin. Find out more at austinmusiclove.com. Hey folks, Emily here from Wella, a local family-owned business right here in Lockhart, Texas. We make everyday foods you love, like Thunderbird, Superfood, Energy Bars, and our Wella hot cereal, and more, with only clean ingredients and amazing flavors. You can find us at HEB, Central Market, Whole Foods, Good Things on the Lockhart Square, as well as thunderbirdbar.com, wellafoods.com, and Amazon. Our next artist spotlight is David Beck. David is a producer and artist from San Marcos, Texas. 
And if you've had the chance to attend any live events in the Lockhart area, you'll know he's no stranger here. He's toured nationally with Sons of Fathers and Blue Healer. His regional project, Tejano Weekend, has brought thousands of Texans out to the dance floor. He's currently producing albums out of Martindale for bands like The Drop Teens, Bo Stalock, Kendall Potesta, and many others. David had a chance to come by the studio today to talk and also play a song from his latest album entitled Goodbye Country Stars. I grew up in San Marcos, and one of the, the biggest things... Uh, that I look back on now and I'm incredibly fortunate is that in junior high, our band director, there are two different band directors, but they let us set up all of our like rock band stuff in one of these auxiliary rehearsal spaces. And we could go get, like they left it locked. And so we would go and we had a little PA and we had our little band set up in there. And storage. They're storing like marimbas and timpanis and crap like that. Uh, and we could go before class. We'd all get to school early and we could rehearse for, you know, 20 minutes. And then at lunch, the lunch was horrible. I would get one of those big, uh, like, frosted cakes out of the vending machine. Yeah. And a Mountain Dew. <laughs> and then we'd go school, play Blink-182 songs <laughs> over and over. Uh, all during lunch. And then after school a little bit too. So we got, and they let us do that. And there was no like, it wasn't like a class. It wasn't anything. They just knew that we were, me and my little group of friends, that we were excited about music. And that was enough for them to facilitate, you know, us playing and wanting to learn stuff on our own with no, no supervision. Yeah, I've always had a band since seventh grade. And it's been the outlet. It's been my main outlet for everything. Um, and so I had punk bands all through high school. And then like freshman year of college, got into Bob Dylan. I made a very hard like 24 hour switch from like AFI punk stuff to like wanting to listen to Bob Dylan all of a sudden. I don't know why. It just happened one day. Maybe you were like, I was like, a thought it was. Uh, like childlike or something. And I was 18 and was going to do serious. Oh, I, I see. Time to be serious about yeah, life. I, I got to go to the big to the big books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Read the big books. So I started playing that. And then, so that's when like I put out music just as David Beck. And that's when I would have met you. Would have been Saxon Pub. Yes. Uh-huh. Like 2009-ish. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah. And y'all's band was awesome. Oh, thanks. And had... <laughs> One of the best drummers on the planet. Yeah. That was always my takeaway was. Yeah. Who was that guy? Kyle Schneider yes. was playing drums back then. The dude with the kind of long hair. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he's he's working for Ray Wiley right now. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so did that. And then I started Sons of Fathers with another guy. I can't remember his name. And that went cool. And then we played Blue Healer. We had a band called Blue Healer, which yeah. was really fun. And that was with some of my best friends. And uh, we, I did a big upright bass, distorted upright bass thing. Um, I don't know. So I, I jumped around a lot. But now I'm trying to, like, get back to the the roots of every, Or, like, the singer-songwriter roots. Also grew up with my dad playing in Robert Earl Keane's band. Okay. From 97 till, are you still playing with them now? 
They are. Is your dad Air quotes for the radio retired. (laughs) Is your dad still, is he a bass player? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because I think you told me one time that he's a bass player and you're a a bass player, singing singing bass player for people that don't know David's work. It's the, that's that's a cool gig to have where you're part of the rhythm section and holding down the band and and fronting it. Well, yeah, it's fun because even if you know if you play the right note, then you're then it's okay. Everything <laughs> else is fine. Whoever else on on whatever happens on top of that is fine. So. Yeah, because you you're a not just a bass player. He's playing upright. You know? Upright bass. That's right, and you do that. That's. Most of the time, right? Yeah. You're going to play electric bass on the last waltz thing, I think. I will play electric on the last waltz. Yeah. To channel all the Danko, all the Danko, Danko energy I can. Um, so coming back, you did the Tahana weekend thing for several years. Oh, yeah. And then decided to come back to some working on your own work as a songwriter on your own name. How is that coming back to it? And you've done this new record. Was it just kind of a, a lot of solitude or just getting some friends around or, or so I, with Robert Keene retiring, it was like a, that's a huge deal for my life. Like he's shaped my life immensely, uh, musically and just with the position that he put me in going to all the shows growing up and stuff and my dad playing bass and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I felt like there was like a tidal wave of energy when he announced his retirement and stuff. And so I wanted to make the best like Texas singer songwriter record that I could. Cause I feel like I haven't tr- attempted that. So that was what this is. That's what this new record is. Goodbye country stars is my attempt at making the best, you know, hill country songwriter kind of thing. Yeah. So in the spirit I, of, of Robert's kind of, yeah, vibe, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Cause it's been such a huge part of me. So it's just a tribute to all that basically. Yeah. Um, and so I got a lot of my friends who were all in sons of fathers. Um, everybody's kind of doing different things now, but me and me and D stribbling, he's the drummer. We kind of run everything together. And so I had a couple songs written I was like, God, it'd be fun if we got Reagan and Brian and, uh, all them to come out and play. And then that turned into, well, why don't we just do like a whole, if we're already going to do that, let's just, if we're going to get everybody in the same room, let's just uh, go all the way with it and make a whole record. And uh, I've never done a record where my dad played bass all the way through. So that was really cool. He plays bass on, on all the of whole it. thing. We cut it pretty much live um, at the zone in Dripping Springs, which is an awesome spot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, a, it was really just an excuse to like, hang out with all those people and we have a chemistry together when we play that is a real tangible thing that is different than other groups uh or other like iterations of it so uh that was the goal yeah was to get those people in a room and that's the lineup and we booked it like six months out in advance because everybody has kids and families and lives and things and then so I had about four or five songs written and then I finished the rest knowing that uh, knowing who was going to be a part of it. So like I wrote one song where Reagan is a great lap steel player. And so I wrote one that was like a bluesy kind of driving song because I wanted him to take a solo on it. Yeah. Cool. So I wrote a whole song for that. Also got way into the band like 
in this whole time period too. So a lot of the songs are very the band inspired. Oh yeah, that's like the stuff, you know. <laughs> um, mostly the weird, but like the weird, uh, the weirder tracks. Oh, they told me I'm a fool. Oh yeah. So I walked on down the road. Whatever that song. Is uh, that a Rick Danko tune? When you wake, you will remember everything. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. But all those weird tunes and stuff. Then you kind of really discover the vibe they had together. And it's, it's always inspiring. And it's inspiring in a way to me that was like, there's camaraderie in that, you know? Mm-hmm. Camaraderie in the music. And you can hear it of guys that know each other really well. And that's what you're describing with the chemistry stuff. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, how were you? How did you feel like it turned out? I mean, I've heard a bit of it, and I thought it sounds like what you're describing, which is great, which has got that hill country vibe. How do you How do you feel about it? I feel great about it. I feel like it's the most uh, focused thing I've ever done. Um, because we planned it so far in advance, and we recorded it all lot. We did some rehearsals, and then we were we cut everything live. Yeah, and. Like, I didn't do any vocal overdubs or anything. Uh, we just cut the song. When we attempted, you know, it took us. We didn't do it the first try. Sure, but yeah, it's all all everyone together, <laughs> which is a great lot. sound, you know. And we fudged some things here and there. Yeah. But uh, the whole thing was uh, l- recorded very naturally. And then the mixing was very simple. And the mastering was simple. And then it's getting printed on vinyl and that we, we took the time to get a really good artist and a graphic designer together. And, you know, I just feel like this is the most like a adult thing. I've That's done. cool. I've always rushed. I feel like I've rushed everything else. And I there's some weird yeah. like pressure that you create on yourself to like, we have to put something out and here's the deadline. And, and so this one, we just said, we're not going to listen to that little monster in your brain situation. Yeah, the single, it's out right now. It's called North Star. And uh, me and my girlfriend, she's my fiance now. Oh, congratulations. Uh, we were listening to that last John Prine record a lot. And there's that song, From a back porch, I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know that one. Yeah, I know that uh, one. Hanging on the vine. Anyway, and we listened to that song over and over and over. And so I was just trying to write like a copy of that. Yeah, get that vibe. Yeah, no, that's cool. I just like that song was just stuck in my head and I was like, okay, that's the little universe I want to land in. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, it's, I think it's a very different song, but uh, that was my inspiration for it. It was just like listening to a lot of John Prine and trying to write something that was uh, just pleasant and bouncy. It's so. easy to write real serious stuff. And I do that probably too often. So. Yeah, I think it's harder to like. I don't know why that's harder, but for me, it seems harder to like try and you know be light, be funny. And North Star isn't even like funny, but it is light. You're my North Star. No matter where I go, baby, there you are. You lead me down the road. I can't get lost Well, you know why All I gotta do Is look up in the sky 
Cause you're my North Star And you're shining true I spend my whole life Just following you Just following you I was a traveling man Just killing time Going round and round Singing rhyme to rhyme And then I saw you Shining down on me Well then I knew Where I had to be Cause you're my North Star No matter where I go Baby there you are You're leading me down I can't get lost Well, you know why All I gotta do Is look up in the sky mm-hmm. Well, it's getting late And it won't be long That sun comes up and you'll be gone But all I gotta do is let this whole world spin I sit around all day, you come back again Cause you're my North Star No matter where I go, baby there you are You're leading me down the road and I can't get lost Well, you know why And all I gotta do Is look up in the sky Cause you're my North Star And you're shining true I spent my whole life Just following you Just following you Tribute to the Last Waltz is coming back to Lockhart, Texas on Sunday, November 26th. The show will be held at Luna Gardens and will start with a chef-prepared VIP dinner by Roaming Fire. Come and enjoy an amazing meal prepared over an open fire with the artists and a showing of local music videos by Susamigas Production Agency as well as a front row seat to the concert. Dinner seats are limited, and sales close November 10th. There are also general admission tickets available now at a discount. This amazing event is brought to you by Deep Eddy Vodka, Mill Scale Metalworks and Meshed Up Productions. Visit Last Waltz, show for tickets and more info. So, 
the phone rings. It's David the White House. And I'm like, oh, crap. Big Jim wants money. And I'm like, okay, Jim, what's up? And he goes, excuse me? It was a lady. I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. I thought you were a friend that was calling from the White House. And he says, excuse me, but are you David Torres? David A. Torres? is a yes, ma'am. All right, we're calling to verify the value of the president's hat to put in the archives, and we need to verify. And I said, yes, ma'am, and I told her the price and everything, and she goes, okay. And then she goes, excuse me, but you said Jim, and I need to make sure there's nothing left unturned on this conversation. You thought I was Big Jim, what does that mean? And she goes, is there something I need to know of? Because this is a president. And I'm like, well, let me tell you, street lingo, friends of ours call the White House, it really means the penitentiary. And she goes, so you're saying street lingo out there is called the White House really means sometimes the penitentiary? And I said, yeah, because the building's painted white. And she goes, <laughs> well, okay, well, I just needed to verify and clear the air because the whole group family of Texas Hatters has security clearance and y'all have all been checked out. Come on down to Texas Hatters where we top the best. Just a quick reminder, our lineup is regularly featured on our Instagram page and in our daily stories, The Roundup. For the latest town happenings, tune in to the 78644 podcast on Instagram, where you can also learn about our upcoming episodes. We also want to introduce you to our 78644 Friends program. 78644 Friends are passionate supporters who believe in more than just attending shows. They're all about ensuring musicians can thrive. By contributing $5 or more each month, you're directly supporting the artists who have graced our podcast. Yes, you heard that right. 100% of your donation goes to the musicians. Supporting your favorite musicians is as easy as subscribing for $5 or more per month at 78644podcast.com. That's 78644podcast.com. As a thank you, you'll gain access to exclusive 78644 hangs every month with exciting perks. This month's hang details are on the way, so keep an eye on your email if you're a subscriber. But that's not all. Subscribers get a special link to a password-protected playlist featuring all the original music from our show, including unreleased tracks from Troubadour, Image, and Sound. It's your exclusive music hub. Don't miss out on the fun. Sign up today to secure your spot on the invite list and support the amazing musicians who make our podcast special. And always remember to tip the band. Your contribution truly changes lives. And now, as usual, we're going to take a peek at the news. Sunday, November 9th at the Pearl, you can hear the Sunday Blues Matinee with W.C. Clark from 3 to 5 p.m. Wednesday, November 22nd at the Pearl, Chris Lancaster takes the stage from 7 to 9 p.m. And for some of you more early birds, Best Little Wine and Books, featuring Mr. Carter's Smooth Blues Corner, has its residency going from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thursday, November 23rd, it's quiet as everyone's closed and celebrating Thanksgiving or just a little time at home. Friday, November 24th at the Pearl, Michael James Trio from 8 to 10 p.m. 
From 8 to 11.30, there's an open mic night at Lockhart Arts and Craft. For those of you interested, sign up begins at 7 p.m. At Old Pal, Josh Baca and the Hot Tamales take the stage at 9.30, and they'll be taking you into the night until about 11.30 p.m. Saturday, November 25th at Duets, Grady Spencer and The Work with Michael McNeil. At Duets, Grady Spencer and The Work with Matthew McNeil at 6 p.m. At Old Pal, Dan Whitaker from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Sunday, November 26th, you can catch the Sunday Blues Matinee with W.C. Clark from 3 to 5 p.m. at The Pearl. Wednesday, November 29th at The Pearl, Halliana Finley from 7 to 9 p.m. On Thursday, November 30th at Duets, Alta Mesa and Danny Golden will take over at 6 p.m. At Old Pal, you can catch Todd from the Merles from 7 to 9 p.m. Friday, December 1st is First Friday, and there is a lot going on. At Lockhart Arts and Crafts, from 8 to 11, you can catch Joe Bob's Bar and Grill Band. At Duets, Dale Watson and his Lone Stars hit the stage at 6 p.m. At Old Pal, Andrea Young takes over from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. At Plum Creek Records and Tapes, we'll have a set by Cactus Lee, as well as Hippie Scum on the DJ tables, and a food pop-up by Bad Larry's Burgers. Saturday, December 2nd at Old Pal, Sidetracked is hitting the stage 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Wednesday, December 6th, Best Little Wine and Books keeps you going with another installment of Mr. Carter's Smooth Blues Corner from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thursday, December 7th at Old Pal, the residency with Halliana is from 7 to 9 p.m. Friday, December 8th, at Old Pal, you can catch Jamie Kruger from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. At Martindale Cafe, Dufoy will be on from 7 to 9 p.m. And from 8 to 11 p.m. at Lockhart Arts and Crafts, the fossils take over. Saturday, December 9th, Dustin Welch has a residency at Old Pal from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. From 7 to 9 at Martindale Cafe, you can catch the Ditch Crickets. Sunday, December 10th, Lockhart Arts and Crafts is featuring an Irish music session from 4.30 to 8 p.m. Wednesday, December 13th at Old Pal, you can catch Parker Shapin presents Chicken Fried Steak Night from 7 to 9 p.m. Best Little Wine and Books will have another installment of Mr. Carter's Smooth Blues Corner from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thursday, December 14th at Old Pal, Daniel Thomas Phipps from 7 to 9 p.m. Friday, December 15th at Old Pal, the Graham Wilkinson Band is playing 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Saturday, December 16th, Old Pal will feature Josh Baca and the Hot Tamales from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. At Duets, Restos and the Tinder Things will be taking over at 6 p.m. Friday, December 29th, Lockhart Arts and Crafts will have an open mic night from 8 to 11.30 p.m. And if you don't recall from a few minutes ago, sign up will begin at 7 p.m. for those of you interested. This is the legendary Dale Watson. Dale Watson began writing his own songs at age 12, making his first recording two years later. Soon after, Watson became an emancipated minor. By day, he went to school, and by night, he played local Houston clubs and honky-tonks with Jim in an aggregation called the Classic Country Band. 
Watson returned to Austin in July 2006 and resumed playing regular gigs, including Sundays at Ginny's Little Longhorn Saloon and a Monday night residency at the Continental Club. He's also a regular performer on the Grand Ole Opry. Dale was able to join us by Zoom and had a lot to share with us. Well, growing up in Pasadena, Texas, I, I, uh, me and my brothers formed a band early on. But, you know, I was still at school, really. So uh, just playing the beer joints in uh, Pasadena, you know, then, uh, that's pretty much how I got my start. And uh, uh, But everything from all, I mean, back then, Urban Cowboy was just starting out. And uh, so it was, uh, it was pretty pretty popular. Everything was uh, jumping for his live music. So I was able to stay busy uh, in Pasadena. But then, uh, uh, you know, he played Gillies, you know. Ended up getting invited to move to, to or to check out L.A. from uh, my friend Rosie Flores. And uh, and that pretty much is where I, that's where I got my record deal was in L.A. So then, uh, then, I, but then I moved back to uh, Texas uh, after that record deal that really panned out very much. So, uh, so been in Texas ever since. Well, yeah. the roots music is why I, I, I is where my heart is. You know, more traditional stuff, and, and uh, it you know, that's part of what the, with the record companies they they really didn't want me didn't want the traditional stuff like I did. That didn't set well with me, you know. To, I just never could do that that type of the the, the mainstream stuff that was happening, and uh, and it's even gotten worse now. So, uh, and that's pretty much why I started a Maripolitan uh, Awards is to reward uh, you know the the artists and the bands and the venues and the festivals and promoters and everybody that's that's promoting uh, the more roots music out there. And uh, our award show, American Politics Award Show, it, it gives awards to people who have honky tonk, Western swing, rockabilly, and outlaw roots. You know. Yeah, and then one of the uh, things too is: Are you still? Do you still have a stake in Jenny's Little Longhorn? No, I sold. I sold that a few years ago, and uh, it's, I, unfortunately, I was hoping that when I did, that the people would keep it going as me and Jenny had it going. You know, me and Jenny. Uh, or the, again, that of that mindset to keep it more honky tonk, Western swing, you know, more very roots oriented. But now it's it's uh, gone the way of a lot of Austin, uh, where it's uh, uh, it's gone the the new the new route. Yeah. Well, one of the things I I think that was I there's a some I have a sympathy for you in that because you know in Lockhart. Is where we live, and our show is, is about music and and art and that's happening in Lockhart. A lot of people coming in from Austin, uh, oh yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. And um, so we part of the reason why we're doing our show is the subscriber money. We, we get we get funded through sponsorships and you know things like that mm-hmm. to keep the show going. But the sure. subscribership is five dollars or, or more a month, and all of that goes to an artist out of a pot that's been on the show and um it's a, and it, as it grows that could be potentially a, a good amount of money just to sure to, to absolutely keep, to, to create or to pay bills or whatever and we're fighting to keep the soul of lockhart uh intact so we uh, uh, some, well, it's a beautiful town i love the, I love the square i love, the, I love everything about lockhart you know but 
and uh, I got lots of friends that uh, live there and have lived there forever. And they, yeah, they say the same thing that, that you know it's, it's growing quite a bit. Yeah, it is, and and I think if we can sustain artists, um, then that's a good thing. And and uh, and I think with Austin, I don't know why they weren't able to do that as much. I guess who knows, but they people are having to leave and coming down here. So we're wanting to make sure that they stay and aren't priced out. Well, it's just so it's, it's getting, it's getting expensive. I mean, it, uh, they just enacted a, uh, uh, $10 an hour parking for a uh, Congress. <laughs> so if you work on, if you, you work at one of these places on Congress Avenue, uh, and, and you got a, uh, eight hour shift, you know, you're, you're spending, uh, 80 bucks just to, uh, to, oh. to, for, and before you even get your, your, your work pay, you know, <laughs> I do understand that. Gosh, I know. Well, that keeping, if we can take, you know, if we can preserve the artists and the musicians, uh, culture and way of life, then I think it's, it benefits everybody. So are you, are you, agree. are you working uh, on something uh, new right now? I know you're doing a ton of touring. Anything you'd like? Yeah, to- I tour. I tour about three hundred days a year. So, uh, we just uh, came out with a record this year called Starvation Box. It's more of an acoustic type of thing, but been touring on that. And uh, I got a an album in the can that's about to come out in uh, twenty twenty four. Uh, not titled yet, but uh, produced by David Ferguson as well. But uh, so, yeah, I'm always doing something. To work, and we got a, uh, a tour with Reverend Horton Heat. Uh, coming up on the, the uh, uh, West Coast, so uh, always touring. Yeah, and, and East Coast. I got an East Coast tour coming up in spring. So uh, in the meantime, I'm all over Texas. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, we've got a thing going. Um, I, I thought about you. There's a little place in Lockhart called Tank Town. It's a little yeah. area, and there's a a building associated with that that our friends are, are running. And just last week. Every month we're doing our our podcast event, and um, and uh, we are doing chicken shit bingo with a live. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, so right. if you're, you're ever inclined, you come on down. <laughs> you know the drill. <laughs> I, I do know the drill. I think I'm the better the drill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you did. We need to put a picture up there behind it. I'd love to do it. Yeah. When do y'all, when do y'all do that? We do it once a month. We have our uh, event there, and we have a local band called the Shuffle Hawks. They, they they do traditional country music, country and western, and then we've got the the chicken doing the thing. So okay, all right, good time. Yeah, right, it guys. is fun time. Woke up this morning Feeling warm and low Brewed a pot of coffee Got nowhere to go I got a call that topped it all That hag had passed away Thought he'd live forever What more can I say 
I kicked those swinging doors Feeling haggard I'm a branded man for sure Feeling haggard Tonight bottle let me down Feeling haggard Since haggard Ain't around The Okie from Muskogee More than just a star He lived his words, his music Rang from concert halls and bars Left it Bob and Jimmy Lived in his country soul His songs will sing forever Never to grow old Feeling haggard, I kick those swinging doors. Feeling haggard, I'm a brand man for sure. Feeling haggard, tonight the bottle let me down. Since Haggard ain't around Feeling Haggard Since Haggard ain't around We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors who helped make this a reality. Texas Hatters, Wella Foods, Thunderbird Bars, Windy R Bookery and Gifts, Christina Valdez, a local realtor with the Corazon team in Realty Austin, Viva Terlinga, the Big Bang of Texas Music Exhibit at the Whitliff Collections at Texas State. We'd also like to thank our in-kind sponsors, Printing Solutions, Willigan's Island, Courthouse Nights, The Rock House Airbnb, Birdie House Airbnb, Gaslight Baker Theater, and Crystal Glaze Photography. 78644 is produced by Kate Collins. It's recorded at Troubadour Image and Sound, edited by Stephen Collins and Danny Manning. Social media managed by Crystal Glaze. Our show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon, Radio Public, and everywhere else where podcasts are streams. I'm Grace Ryer, and thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, I need a thank you. Thank you. Lord, I want to thank you. Thank you. Yes, I want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Bye. Uh-huh. 